So as I prepare for the message each Sunday, I, I do a lot of research, obviously. And I, I do research in a lot of different places. Obviously, the, the Bible is my main source of inspiration. That's where I get the, the majority of my inspiration for the messages uh, that I'm going to share with you. And I read a lot of Bible commentaries alongside that that give insight into the passage, what the author meant when they said it, the original language, uh, into the passage that I'm dealing with for that particular Sunday. I also do a lot of online research uh, in preparation to see what other people have discovered in their own studies about a particular topic or about a particular passage of scripture or if I'm looking for a, a quote to emphasize a certain point. I, I, I do a lot of research online. Um, and as I was preparing for this message today, I ran across an article that I thought was just amazing. And I wanted to share it with you this morning, and I'm actually going to read some of it to you uh, because it's pretty on point. And so I want you to listen to this article that I found. The article is someone reacting to a letter written by David Wilkerson. Uh, David Wilkerson wrote The Cross and the Switchblade. He uh, pastored in New York. And uh, this is, the, he, he sent out a lot of letters, uh, prophetic letters about what God was showing him. And the basic tone of the Wilkerson letter was, we're in trouble. Um, and so here's, here's an excerpt from the article that I found which referenced this letter. We need to hear what God is saying to us because we do indeed live in difficult times. The worldwide global economic crisis has cost trillions of dollars in lost wealth. People who only a year ago had reasonable prospects for the future have seen a lifetime of hard work wiped out. And with the loss comes rising uncertainty. A week ago, New York pastor David Wilkerson issued a message predicting imminent catastrophe for America. He spoke of cities burning because of rioting and looting. This, he said, would be the judgment of God on our nation. I happened to read about his prophecy a day or so after he gave it, but I was struck hard when Peggy Noonan mentioned it in her weekly column in the Wall Street Journal. Under the title, There's No Pill for This Kind of Depression, Noonan begins by noting that the problem is not just the economic crisis. There is, she says, something much deeper. I asked a friend if he is seeing what I'm seeing. Yes, he said, there is a pervasive sense of anxiety, as though everyone feels they're on thin ice. He wonders if it's maybe a sense that we've had it too easy in the years since 9-11 and that the bad guys are about to appear on the horizon. An attorney in a Park Avenue firm said things look like they have changed and may not come back. Gun sales are up. People are amassing cash and gold. People are starting to grow their own food. On top of that, people have lost faith in their government. They feel they have been lied to. How else to explain the mess we're in? The pervasive cynicism about our leaders seems to cross party lines. And Noonan spoke to a psychiatrist who analyzed the mood of his patients this way. People feel unled and overwhelmed, and the situation is seemingly unsalvageable. The net result, he thinks what he is seeing within and without his practice is a psychological pandemic of fear as to the future of things, of our country, and even of mankind. And the article ends with these words. The moment we are living now is a strange one, a disquieting one, a time that seems full of endings. Now, an interesting thing to note about this article, and some of you have already picked up on it, because you're already aware that David Wilkerson died in 2011. This article was written in March of 2009. 
And as I read the article, there's so many things that I referenced there that we could have just checked all the boxes of what we're experiencing and what we're going through today. And it makes you stop and think, doesn't it? That the exact same article could have been written about today, about December 2020, and where we're at in history, about what we're anticipating in the coming days. And some could say that, boy, David Wilkerson missed it if he wrote that in 2009 and did that really come true. But I think he was spot on. I mean, as we look at the Bible, we look at Paul. Was Paul off when he wrote about what the last days would look like? No, he wasn't off when he warned his readers about what to expect. And this was about 2,000 years ago. And Paul was saying, hey, be on guard. None of these writers, biblical or otherwise, were off in their assessment of the days we are living in or what we should be expecting. The Bible is clear that things are going to continue to deteriorate until Jesus comes back to take us home. But it's not silent on how we are supposed to live in the meantime either. And that's what I want to touch on this morning. How are we supposed to live in difficult times? How are we supposed to live in what many of us believe are the last days? And I want to hit Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 17 today. Those are the verses that we're going to look at together. It begins this way. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Now, the text today is very short, only three verses, and the verses themselves are short. This is not a lengthy passage of scripture. And this little passage is often overlooked because it's sandwiched between two passages here in Ephesians 5 that are very well known and have a lot of meat to them. But as often is the case in the Bible, little verses can say a lot. And these have a lot of meaning for us today with regard to how we are to live our lives. And the first thing that Paul teaches here about living in times like this is found in the first verse of the passage. Let's hit it again, Ephesians 5.15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And so the first thing Paul is saying to us is watch your step. Be careful as you move forward. Be careful as you live your life. Watch, be on guard. Watch, look around you and see what's happening. Um, when Paul says, be careful how you live, that, that phrase that's translated, be careful, means literally to walk accurately or precisely. Walk with precision as you are living in these days. In today's language, watch your step. Look out. The King James Version <clears throat> actually uses a really old archaic word uh, where he says that we are to live circumspectly. Circumspectly. It's a great word. And it has this idea of walking on a narrow path along the side of a, a steep mountain. And probably when you, if you're, you're walking along this path, like maybe you're, you're, you're riding a burrow down into the Grand Canyon and it gets really narrow. Some of you have taken that journey down into the bottom of the canyon. It's probably not a time where you're going to be daydreaming. You're not going to be looking around, letting your attention wander. You're going to keep your eyes open. You're going to keep your eyes focused because if you don't, you could take a wrong step. You could fall to your death. So you have to pay attention. You have to be on top of what's happening and you have to be laser focused. And that's how we are to live in these times. We are to live with laser focus, with our attention on everything that is happening around us, that is happening to us, that is happening through us. We need to pay attention and watch our step 
as we live in these last days. Sometimes I think we live too fast. I think we probably, especially coming off Christmas week, we can relate to living too fast. We make too many snap judgments. We make too many quick decisions. Uh, we speak too fast. We move too fast. We react too fast. We answer before we even hear the question. We just keep pressing the throttle of life forward because we've got too much on our plate. We don't dare to slow down. We can't because we've got to get everything done. There's no time. And I think it's even possible to go too fast in living for Jesus. We run out in front of God's will. We get ahead of where God is leading because we think we know the way. We go before we're ready. We, we speak before we have anything to say. We teach before we've been taught. And we build high before we build deep. And all without ever stopping to pray and ask God which way he is leading. We've got to stop. We've got to ask God where he's leading. That is so important that we take the time to know where God is leading us instead of just running ahead and figuring out on our own where we're supposed to go. What happens when you're in a hurry all the time? You don't watch where you're going and you can trip and fall. And I think a lot of the times we trip and fall because we're not patient in pursuing what is right as much as when we run after things that are evil. I mean, when we're running after the wrong thing, we're going to fall on our face. But I think we stumble. I think we trip in the pursuit of good things because we're not patient and we're not pursuing God first. The answer is not getting a new app for your phone. The answer is not in organizing your home better. But the answer is in the ancient words of the psalmist as he writes in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Be still, stop, breathe, seek me, focus on me, focus on who I am in your life and where I'm leading you. Allow the Holy Spirit to saturate your soul before you move into the unknown. When we slow down enough to get God involved, we discover that he can do more through us than we could ever accomplish on our own. But we've got to take that time. We've got to slow our pace down. We've got to leave room in the margin for God to speak to us, for God to work in us, for God to transform us. Then when we move forward, then when we move into the unknown, we have God leading the way instead of us just running on ahead of him. We're going to be taking time every day uh, coming up in the 21 days of prayer and fasting next month to do that, to stop to put our focus on God, to make sure that we understand where he is leading and to ask him to work through us. Through us as individuals, as followers of Jesus, through us as families and asking God to lead our family and through us as, as a church family and asking God to lead us into 2021 and show us that what, we don't miss anything so that we are laser focused on what's happening around us and where God is leading us. Take advantage of that opportunity, church, for our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Take advantage of that and join us. Join with us in seeking God together as a church. Now, the second thing I want to hit in what Paul is writing to us in Ephesians 5, 16, which says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And what is Paul saying to us? Make the most of the time you have. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next week. We're not promised next year. 
What we are promised is you have right now to live for Jesus. You have right now to make a difference. You have right now to influence somebody else's life. You have right now to pursue God with everything you have. Make the most of the time you have, and the time you have is right now. On Christmas Eve, we talked about how when things get darker, the need is huge for the light to shine even brighter. And that is absolutely true. As times get more and more challenging, it's so important for each of us to take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us to live as children of light. We need to live for him. We need to pursue him and we need to allow him to shine through us into the world around us because the world desperately needs to see the light of Christ in his church and in his followers. And I want you to notice the, the uh, New Living uses the word opportunity here, okay? Make the most of every opportunity in these evil, evil days. And the word in Greek is actually time. It's not opportunity, it's time. Make the most of the time that you have. You have to redeem the time. And the reason the translators chose to use opportunity instead of time is because the Greek language has two different words that it uses for time. One of those words, chronos, refers to the passage of time in the sense that you and I refer to it with hours, minutes, and seconds. What time is it? It's 6.22 p.m. We're leaving in eight minutes. Okay, that is chronos. That is one sort of time. It is the time that we reference when we look at a clock. The other Greek word, which is kairos, refers not to like a strict passage of time, but to a specific moment of opportunity, a moment that requires action, a moment that is ripe for something to take place. This is, this is the kind of time that Martin Luther King meant when he told the, the incredible crowd gathered at the Lincoln Memorial at the National Mall in Washington, D.C. In, in 1963, he said, we have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. And it's that phrase, the fierce urgency of now, that is what is referred to by kairos, by opportunity here, as Paul writes. But that's not all. Paul says there is a particular reason that we have to take action and grasp the fierce urgency of now. Check that little phrase at the end of verse 16, in these evil days. Here's another translation from the message. It says, these are desperate times. And church, I don't think I have to convince anyone that we're living in desperate times. These are not positive days that we're seeing around us. What's happening, the trend in our culture, the trend in our nation, even the trend in some churches is not towards Jesus. And we need to stand strong and burn brightly and let others know what it looks like. That verse I referenced earlier, 1 Corinthians 11:1. 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Because these are evil days that we are living in. And you might think the 21st century and the times of Paul were quite different. But I want you to understand, you'd be surprised at the similarities of the days in which Paul lived and the days in which we're living now. Paul writes these words while he's chained to the guards in a Roman jail. Okay, the emperor was a man by the name of Nero, a horrible and evil excuse for a king, for a ruler. And before too long, he would set fire to Rome and he would blame the Christians for doing it. Later on, he would order Paul to be beheaded. The city of Ephesus, where Paul is writing to, okay, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, 
It's the center of hedonism. Hedonism is is seeking self-pleasure above everything else. There are temples in Ephesus to sex, to sorcery, to drunkenness. People spent their days trying to outdo one another in debauchery and evil. And meanwhile, the clouds of persecution are darkening the sky on the horizon. And as the gospel spreads, different power structures politically and spiritually are are beginning to see Jesus and his followers as a threat, and they're opposing it everywhere it was preached, and they're beginning to shut down the spread of Christianity. I think we can relate a lot to the days in which Paul lived. And that's what Paul meant when he said, these are desperate times. And what would he say today about the world in which we live? What would he say about what we're facing, about the times we are going through? I'm pretty sure this passage applies to us. And when we live in difficult times, it can be tempting to throw our hands up in the air and say it's no use, to give up, to stop and to say we can't do it because there's just too much darkness. People are too far gone and there's nothing to be done. And I refuse to think like that, church. I refuse to accept that because it's simply not the case. If we give up before our breath is gone or before Jesus returns, we have given up too soon. There is never a time to give up. The things that make it difficult for us to live as Christians are the things that make us shine even more brightly. That's why Paul says rejoice when you are persecuted. Hard times are opportunities in disguise. And when the world around us seems to be going insane, which watch any news program, you will agree, the world seems to be going insane quite often, we have an incredible opportunity to display the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. And the world has gotten crazy enough that even people who don't believe in God are realizing that something is off. People who have no biblical foundation are looking at the world around them and saying, this does not make sense. This is not how it should be. And they're looking for answers. They're searching for truth. And we need to make the most, as Paul said, of every opportunity, and we need to show them the light. Finally, in verse 17, Paul says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. What is he saying? Very simply, do God's will. Do God's will. The things that God has told you to do as you read through the pages of scripture, the way in which he has called us to live, live that way. Do his will. One of the most moving speeches ever made was another speech. I referenced one earlier. This is a different speech by MLK. And this was the final speech that Martin Luther King gave, the one he gave in Memphis on April 3rd, 1968, which this was the day before he was assassinated. And more people are familiar with the I Have a Dream speech, but this one could be referred to as the I Have Been to the Mountaintop speech. And even... As you listen through this speech, you can sense the unrelenting pressure of opposition and death threats. You sense all of that coming through that, but underneath it all, there is this bedrock faith of Dr. King's that runs through this speech. And he frames the whole message in this way. By the way, if you've never listened to this speech, I encourage you, go on YouTube, find it, and listen to it because it is powerful. But he frames the whole message in this way. Suppose God were to come to him and ask this question, Martin Luther King, which age 
throughout history would you like to live in? And he goes on to survey all of human history, starting with Egypt, going on to Greece and to Rome, then skipping the centuries to the Renaissance and to the Protestant Reformation, and then on to the days of Abraham Lincoln, and finally to the very troubled times of 1968, when the whole fabric of the nation was shaking and seemed about to unravel. And here is his imagined answer to God's imagined question. Strangely enough, I would turn to the Almighty and say, if you allow me to live just a few years in the second half of the 20th century, I will be happy. Now that's a strange statement to make because the world is all messed up. The nation is sick. Trouble is in the land, confusion all around. That's a strange statement, but I know somehow that only when it is dark enough can you see the stars. And he goes on from there to talk about what it means to live at such a crucial moment of history. And he applies it to the situation with the sanitation workers strike in Memphis. <clears throat> and as I read it again while preparing for this message, I could feel the power building through this speech to that final climax where he says these unbelievable prophetic words, remembering that this is the day before he was assassinated. He says this, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And I believe if, if time continues a thousand years from now, we will still remember those words but I'm always struck by this simple sentence in his final paragraph, I just want to do God's will. Those seven words summarize how we all should be facing the future, how we all should be living in the now, how we all should be making the most of every opportunity. I just want to do God's will. Understanding the fierce urgency of now, grateful for the privilege of being alive in this time, Wherever God has placed us, wherever we live, no matter what our circumstances, we understand that there is an opportunity that God has given us and we will live it out. Christians can be optimists no matter what we are facing in this life because even though we understand and we see what is happening in the world around us, we know that Jesus Christ has conquered the grave because I know that God is in control of the circumstances of this life. Sometimes the answer depends on where you are at the moment. It's like being in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. On Friday, pessimism reigned. People saw what had happened. But on Sunday, as the truth slowly began to dawn on people that Jesus had risen from the dead, that he was alive, as that one great truth broke through all of the dark clouds, as they began to believe the best good news that they could have ever hoped to hear, sorrow turned to joy, grief turned to laughter, and despair gave way to hope. And church, I want you to understand, we live on the other side of the empty tomb. We live on this side of the empty tomb. And because he lives, so will we. These are great days to be alive. 
They are exciting days and amazing days and uncertain days and frightening days. All of those are true at the same time. When we see evil advancing in this world, I want you to keep in mind what Jesus said in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't permit them. Don't let them. Don't give them that power over you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Trust God. Look to him. Seek to do his will. Because in times like these, in these uncertain times, in evil days, it helps to recall that there have always been times like these. Paul wrote about them from prison. Dr. King talked about them in his speech. We've lived through periods like this. And no matter what happens today, the promises of God will still be true tomorrow. Here are some of those promises. This is just a drop in the bucket of the ocean of God's promises. Exodus 15, 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Deuteronomy, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. 1 Samuel, there is no rock like our God. 2 Kings, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Romans 8, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? And 1 John, the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And this, then, is how we should live in light of these powerful promises of God that I just shared. 1 Corinthians 15, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You will never labor in vain when you're working for Jesus. Watch your step, make the most of the time you have, and seek to do God's will every day you're alive. We are living, I believe, in the greatest days of history. Why? Because it's now. Who knows? We may be the generation that hears the trumpet call of God. Jesus may come back in our lifetime. We may experience that. But until that day, we will never stop. We will be the church. We will let our light shine. We will live as children of light. And we will drive back the darkness everywhere we see it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we get to live in these times. God, we thank you that you have placed us here now in these times, in our communities. God, we thank you that you have put us here and you've put us here for a reason because you have given us Kairos. You have given us a moment of time to make a difference, to make an impact, to let our light shine. And God, I pray that you would use us. God, use us. Let us make the most of every opportunity. God, let us look at the world around us and pay attention to what is happening. But God, let us never cower in fear at what is happening. Let us never recoil from what is going on around us. Instead, let us run into the battle. Let us run towards the darkness, carrying our light strong, and let us make a difference wherever we go. God, let us do your will. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have that, that fierce uh, sense of the urgency of now, God, let us understand that there is a now that we need to live in. We need to capture. We need to, to overcome in this moment. Not waiting for a week, not waiting for a month, not waiting for a year, not waiting until things get better. But God, right now, 
that God living that overcoming spirit that you have placed inside each one of us. Holy Spirit, strengthen us, empower us, help us to move forward knowing that you are with us and we live on the other side of the empty tomb. We thank you, God. Help us to be the church and help us to live as followers of Jesus everywhere we go and in every moment. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.